0: So today we continue our series on discipleship and the passage we're looking at comes from the final chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Now you may remember that this chapter can be divided into two parts. The first part of the chapter in verses 1 to 15 hammers home the reality of the resurrection and the second part which we're looking at today could be entitled the result of Of the resurrection. You may recall that at the Last Supper, Jesus told his disciples to go to Galilee after his resurrection and that he would be waiting for them there. And that's where today Jesus makes his final appearance to them in the passage from Matthew's Gospel. When you preach on a passage, sometimes you just, because you're reading it a little bit more carefully than you might have done in the past, you notice things that you didn't notice before. And um, I'm always really struck by how authentic scripture is and was quite staggered at verse 17 when I read it, where it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted Some doubted. They're still reeling to such an extent from the horror of the crucifixion that they simply, literally, can't believe their eyes. They cannot compute it. And in this passage, Jesus first reminds the disciples of his unlimited authority. He is sending them out not only to Israel but to all the nations, to baptize and to make disciples. He affirms here the doctrine of the Trinity. And his command comes with a wonderful promise. His presence would always be with them. It's at this point that the disciples, which means student or learner, graduate. And they become apostles, those to be sent Sent out. And we know that at Pentecost Jesus did send the promised Holy Spirit. And despite severe persecution, the Christian faith grew from a small cult of followers in Judea to become the largest religious movement on earth. A bit of history for you. In 597, the first Christian missionaries were sent by Pope Gregory to the southern Anglo Saxons and King Ethelbert of Kent was converted through St. Augustine. And as they say, the rest is history. You and I can directly trace our presence here at St. Matthew's this morning to the Great Commission. And Christianity continues to grow, most notably in countries where its disciples face most persecution. According to a recent report from the Centre for the Study of Global Christianity, the five countries with the highest annual growth rate in Christianity are Nepal, China, the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia and Qatar. Now this passage is most often preached on, isn't it, as a call to evangelize, and it is. It's the ultimate rebuttal of our right to a private faith. But today I want to focus on verse 19, go therefore and make disciples, go and make disciples. And I'd like to revisit the questions which Richard asked last week, What? is a disciple and how can you and I become better disciples? What is a disciple? Well I'm going to start by turning to an interesting little episode in the second chapter of John's Gospel. You may remember that in this chapter Jesus cleansed the temple courts. He drove out the money changers and he's already on a collision course with the religious leaders. But then the chapter ends with a little codicil, which is often overlooked. Verses 23 and 24 say this. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them. Jesus would not entrust himself to them. There's a stark contrast between Jesus' response to this throng and his response to his first disciples in the previous chapter of John. If we rewind to chapter 1, verse 35, we read this. The next day, John, that's John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning round, Jesus saw them and said, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. These first two disciples wanted to get to know Jesus personally. Jesus wants followers, not fans. The disciples were ordinary, diverse, and deeply flawed individuals, but they were serious seekers. There was much that they had not even begun to grasp, but Jesus took them, and over three years, he pushed them slowly and sometimes uncomfortably towards a deeper level of knowledge and commitment. And it's the same for us. We, who have inherited the faith, are called in the same way to follow from where we are, to learn, to seek, to take up our cross and to make him our priority. I'd like to share a little story uh, from one of the books by the author John Ortberg. Each year, Ned Coletti, the general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers, goes to the Dominican Republic to scout young players. Most of them have one parent. Most have never met their earthly father, and most have not been educated beyond the age of 11. Last year, Ned saw one player in particular who had great tools, but who was timid because he was afraid he might fail. Ned pulled him aside and explained that failure is part of baseball. The great baseball heroes have failed. He also explained that God had blessed him with a special talent. This six foot two inch, 210 pound gifted athlete looked at Ned with tears in his eyes and would not let go when Ned shook his hand as he was ready to leave. Imagine, says Ortberg, that you're that kid in the Dominican Republic, that a talent scout has said, follow me and I'll make you a professional baseball player. Would you need a long time to make a decision? Likewise, Jesus came to fishermen and tax collectors who were hardly League material and said, I believe in you, what I know I will teach you, what I do you can do. And likewise, he invites you and me to play the real game you are the salt of the earth, he can make your life a blessing. You may feel like you're not sure you believe enough in Jesus. That's okay, because he believes in you. The second question, what helps us to become better disciples? I'm a bit reluctant to address this one. You know, it can sound somewhat clichéd. And over simplistic to restate. Pray more. Read your Bible more. Pray more. Read your Bible more. So I would just like to share a bit of personal testimony. For years as a Christian, uh, this was a message which I heard in many and various forms in many sermons. And if I'm honest, I really didn't move forward very much. I barely digested the few verses of scripture which I heard in church on a Sunday. And my prayer was often a rushed and transitory affair. I share with you that I am far from the finished article. Like those disciples who tramped around the Judean countryside with Jesus, I still struggle at times. I have doubts. I'm not as spiritually disciplined as I would like to be. I do not spend enough time in prayer, and sometimes I wonder what on earth I'm doing preaching to some people who are probably much further along in their walk with Christ than I am. And some years ago, I had a little mini epiphany and I realized, you know, that my default setting as a sinful human being, which we're told very clearly in Romans, is to seek pleasure rather than effort. The pleasure principle is a recognized term in psychoanalysis, which involves the instinctive seeking of pleasure and avoidance of pain. So I will naturally gravitate towards scrolling through social media or watching rubbish on the TV rather than put effort into studying scripture the pleasure principle <clears throat> and i realized then that i needed some sort of framework and i'm about to use a word deeply unpopular in our culture and even amongst some christians I needed to engage in some sort of spiritual disciplines in the way that I engaged in physical discipline by going to the gym. And over 10 years ago, with some trepidation, I will add, I began doing Bible study fellowship, which was an intentional and quite demanding Bible study program with built in, here comes another unpopular word, homework. And another one, accountability. For me, though, it's been transformative, and it was one of the main drivers, in fact, (coughs) to me embarking a few years ago on lay ministry training. Spending more time in the Word and in fellowship with others, meaningful fellowship with others, has in turn helped me to structure my prayer life. Personally, I find the Lectio 365 app a great help, as I think does Ian. It helps me to meditate on what Christ has done for me. It brings home to me the beauty and the rich history of faith. I'm not prescribing any particular method here. We're all different. But in the words of the Nike slogan, just do it. And if I've learned one spiritual lesson on my journey over the last few years, it is the truth of James chapter 4, verse 8. James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That beautiful invitation in John 1 is extended to us again and again and again. Come and see. Let's commit to doing just one thing this week, to accept that invitation. Amen.